Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. But uh, I'm very excited to share with you this morning, uh, excited to kind of wrap up this series that we've been in for the last four weeks on the way of Jesus. And what I want to kind of talk about today is this idea of slowing down, okay? And so uh, if you know me at all, or if you've even been here for just the last few weeks of hearing this message series, you're like, that guy needs to slow down. And, and so it's a little bit ironic that I would come to you and I would say, um, hey, let me talk to you about slowing down. But uh, I'm very excited about this and I think we're going to have a good time doing it today. So uh, let's start this conversation here. There was a, a cardiologist by the name of Meyer Friedman who in the 1950s noticed, uh, noticed that his at-risk cardiovascular patients had a consistent harrying sense of time urgency. And he started to see this connection between anger, hurry, and heart attacks. Kind of followed this connection, and he ended up labeling this as a disease and called it hurry sickness. Now, this, this phrase, hurry sickness, has become a little bit more normalized and a little bit more popular within mental health professionals and psychologists and counselors of helping to define where we're at. And this is the definition that they give now. Hurry sickness is when a person feels chronically short of time, and so it tends to perform every task faster t- and, and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. All right. How you doing? How many of you guys uh, are sitting here r- wondering already if you have hurry sickness? <laughs> okay, well, let's, you know, let's, let's have fun with it. All right? It's not just a d- definition. Let's, have, let's make it a quiz. All right? So I'm going to ask you some questions and you to do some self, you know, soul searching to figure out if this is you, right? So I just have three questions that might help you identify if you have hurry sickness. So You may have hurry sickness if you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. All right. All right. I see some of you. You may have hurry sickness if you count the cars in front of you at a stoplight or a drive-thru. And maybe even some of you move to the other line, right? You're like, I'm not waiting for that one. I'm going over there. And lastly, you may have hurry sickness if you multitask to the point of forgetting one of your tasks that you're working on. All right, let's just take a poll of the room. Let's be honest, all right? Cedar Rapids too. How many of you feel like that you may have some level of hurry sickness? Just raise your hand. Okay, we are in this together. Oh, man. It is, the thing is, is when I heard those, I, I literally spent the next week just trying to prove to myself that I did not, in fact, have hurry sickness. I'm like sitting at a drive-thru. I'm like, I can wait. I don't care if they're slow. I I'm not in in a hurry. My meeting is not even important. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't work. Um, But then then I heard this. This is a quote from Dallas Willard. He said this one time, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day and that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I heard that, and I get it in a lot of senses, but they, it kind of landed with me two different ways. The first way that I heard this statement was that I thought to myself, hurry, I get it, but hurry cannot be the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. When I think about things that are opposing spiritual life, opposing us following Jesus and following him well, I think about a lot of other things. I could probably give you a list of the things over the last 10 years that have been stopping me from following Jesus well. And I don't even think hurry probably would have even made that list. I would have thought about all these other things. But actually, maybe when I think about it, I tend to come to this place where I kind of see hurry might actually be the issue beneath the issue. 
that consistently hurry is linked to symptoms uh, that a lot of people would advocate are the, and it's the underlying cause of these symptoms of things like low-grade anxiety, chronic anger, burnout, loneliness, exhaustion, all have these like direct correlations to the pace of our life, to the hurry in our lives. And the thing is, is that we all feel this. We all are pretty familiar with even some of those symptoms. And it doesn't seem like our lives are slowing down anytime soon, right? We, they are just consistently busy. I have two boys, okay, and one on the way, and it's only going to get crazier, okay? I've seen some of your schedules with sports and extracurricular activities, and I'm like, oh my word, this is what's coming. Um, so we know that our pace is gonna, gonna go crazy, but, uh, and it feels like this. I kind of have the sense that every time we tend to catch our breath and feel like we're doing well, something else pops up. It's another problem to solve. It's another event to attend. And so we all feel this. Now, John Mark Homer, who's an author and a pastor, wrote this book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, kind of based on that, that quote from Dallas Willard. And uh, this is a book that I would highly recommend. This book is, is super good, and he does an, a pretty incredible job of breaking this down. And in this book, he kind of just points out the toll that this pace, that this hurry is having on each of our lives. He, he gives 10 symptoms in this, uh, his 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And I just kind of wanted to share five with you today that kind of jumped out at me. First thing he says is that, that hurry sickness leads to irritability, that you get mad, frustrated, you just get annoyed way too easily, and little things tend to irk you. And people have to tiptoe around you, uh, tiptoe around your ongoing, like, low-grade negativity, if not anger or just frustration. And the thing about this when it comes to irritability is that you, gotta, you gotta really have to look not at how you maybe treat coworkers or neighbors or things like that. It's more how you treat those that are closest to you. Um, and everybody said, ouch. Um, the second one he points out is emotional numbness. He says, uh, you don't have the capacity to feel another's pain, let alone your own. And uh, empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have time to feel it. That emotions tend to be something that are, need to be resolved rather than something to be felt. Number three, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics that sleep, good food, margin are all things that kind of come at the expense of this, that you tend to gain weight, you tend to get sick multiple times a year because you just don't have time to take care of yourself in the way that your body needs. That you find, uh, you find yourself tired, you find yourself having a hard time waking up in the mornings, maybe you're not sleeping well, that it's hard to take care of your body when you're in a hurry. Number four is escapist behaviors that we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for us. So we tend to gravitate to a distraction of choice, right? Or something that helps us to numb out. Things like overeating, overdrinking, binge watching, uh, social media, porn. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. The thing is, is that we gravitate to things that distract us, things that help us to not have to feel the things that are going on within us. Stuffing. And then the last one is slippage of spiritual disciplines, that you're so over busy and overtired that you don't have the energy or discipline to do the things that you need most. That when you think about things like this, you think about things like reading the Bible, prayer, rest, serving, and all of those things just feel like one more thing that you need to do and that you don't have the energy or discipline to do. And I know that when I hear this, that there are days that I feel like I could just be five for five on this list. And, uh, and I know that I'm not the only one. So now that we're all having like a, a really, really good time at church, right? <laughs> now that you guys are all pumped up and I'm all pumped up and we're feeling awesome about ourselves after we probably just rushed to get to church today, right? And you probably woke up irritable and now you feel super guilty and you're questioning how many donuts you should have actually had in the lobby, right? <laughs> this is like, okay, why do, why do you have to talk about this today? Um, 
But this is part of why we're here today. This is part of why we gather together at church, because we come to church as we are. We come with our own things, with our own, with our own hurry sticks. We walk in irritable. We walk in emotionally numb and checked out. And that's where we're at. And Jesus invites us where we're at to come and to follow him. That's why we talk about consistently, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Because a lot of times we want to come in where we think we should be, where we see ourselves knowing that we should be, but we're actually right here. So we come to a place where we say, I'm actually struggling with this. It gives room for Jesus to invite us into something different. And that's what this series is about. The series is saying, hey, we want to follow the way of Jesus, not just an ideal of Jesus, not just, a, not just the, the, the concepts, but we want to follow the person of Jesus and follow his lifestyle. That's why we're talking about in this series, we're talking about all these different ideas that break down how he lived his life. So to kind of recap and to kind of explain that idea, the way of Jesus, we've talked about things like a couple weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. You cannot follow Jesus for long without realizing that, that forgiveness is essential to the way of Jesus. Not just the way that he's forgiven each of us, but the way that he said to now go and forgive other people. We see that the way of Jesus is planted firmly on a foundation of scripture and of his word, that he said, told us to build our lives on something that's going to last, not just what everyone else is doing. And so having, some, having truth to inform what, what scriptures say, what, what God's word is saying to us, uh, gives us a firm foundation to handle storms when they come. We see that the way of Jesus is planted in and is full of compassion. Compassion and love are things that we oftentimes see when we see Jesus. We see his patience. Specifically, when you look at the life of Jesus with his disciples, you see just like overwhelming patience for these guys that just cannot seem to get it, but he continues to be patient with them. We see his intentionality to pursue those that seem often forgotten in society or, or left to the side. And today what I want to talk about is that we see Jesus as being someone who was in fact busy that he can relate to our idea of busyness, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. That's the difference. He never seemed to be in a hurry. And so this is what I want to extend to you as kind of the, the invitation of today. Jesus invites us to slow down so that we can follow his way. He invites us to change our pace a little bit so that hurry does not continue to take things from us as we follow him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. But before we do that, can we just all collectively take a big, deep breath and just slow down? Ready? One, two, three. Man, that feels good. All right, let's look at the life of Jesus. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. This is a very famous story that you see in Jesus' life. It's a story that, that the gospel writers tell us of, uh, is how most of us know it, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and it gives us a look at to the way Jesus thinks, at the way that he operates and what, he's, what he has in mind for us as we follow the way of Jesus. And we see, and I think the point that I really want you to see in this story is that hurry is in fact the enemy of following the way of Jesus, of following and doing what he did. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30, this is where Jesus' story starts. He says that a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So I have a picture right here of what this, what this road looks like. This road that Jesus mentions from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very familiar road to his audience as he's talking. That They would know this road well. You've got these two big cities. You've got Jerusalem and you've got Jericho. Jerusalem being where the temple was. And then Jericho is, is this other big city. So you've got these two big cities and it's a very well-traveled road. You'd have a lot of merchants traveling this road because of the commerce of the cities. You had priests traveling this road because of Jerusalem having being where the temple was. And 
he tells the story of a man who's traveling this road and is, is beaten up by robbers, that they come and they're hiding in these rocks. And as you see this picture, you kind of gain a whole new perspective of like what that would look like, how easy it would be for somebody to hide in rocks and jump out and take somebody. And so they, they, they beat this guy up, take him for all he's worth and leave him there to die on the side of the road. And then he goes on in the story. Jesus says, by chance, a priest came along and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And when I read this, and I've heard this for my whole life, and when I, when I hear this part of the story, I tend to think this, I tend to think, oh, of course, the religious corrupt walked past him and left him there and when they could have reached out and helped him. And we tend to look at these guys and we just immediately put them in this category. But the thing is, is that you have to kind of look context. It's important to understand context when we read scripture because it gives us a different picture. And it's very easy to judge these guys. It's very easy to throw shade at them, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Jesus, Jesus shows us in the story these two guys, a priest and a Levite or a temple assistant. And in this story, what he's doing is he's, he's painting this picture. Scholars at this time said that most of the priests and Levites would have lived in, in Jericho. And like I said, the temple was in Jerusalem. So you kind of get this picture of that most of them were living here uh, and traveling to Jerusalem. And scholars also believe that they would come and work a two-week shift at the temple. So they'd, be, they'd have their home and their family here, and they would come into Jerusalem to work a two-week shift. Now, as they would come in and do that, you have to understand two things about these guys. That these are both Torah-observant men. So Torah being the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, as they know it, these are law-abiding citizens and not just like following it for the most part, except for when nobody's looking. It's like these guys were like the, they were, had a high, high standard in which they lived their lives, that they were representing God to the people and they were representing the people to God. So there was a standard that they had to live at. And there's things that, that were very intentional about this. And so there's a lot of laws that they would have followed and a lot of things that, that come into play. But there's one law in particular that I think is really relevant to the story. Uh, and, and there's it's several times in, in those first five books, but you read it in Numbers chapter 19, where it says, whoever touches a dead body of anybody will be unclean for seven days. So it's this idea of, it was, very, it was a very important thing and a very sacred thing to, if you touch a dead body, not to enter the Lord's presence, not to enter his temple, and that you would be considered unclean for seven days. And so this is a story that we, this is kind of the context we have to understand in these two guys. So I want to give you kind of the picture and the understanding of maybe the scenario so we can understand them. So we're going to start with the, um, the priest. Okay, so you've got a priest who has, let's just say he's been in Jerusalem for the last two weeks working at the temple. And this priest is on his way home to be back with his family. He's got his donkeys all loaded up, all of his stuff. He's got all of his food that he's going to bring back to his family. And he's coming back. And about a mile or two into the road, maybe somewhere around here, he sees a man laying there on the side of the road and looks like he's dead. The man's probably non-responsive. He's probably, it probably looks like he's, he's been there for a long time. And he comes to this conclusion as he walks by that if I were to reach out and to touch this man and feel if he has a pulse and he is in fact dead, as it seems, then I am now unclean. All of the food that I have with me is unclean. And now there's another week before I can even come back and be with my family as I go through this process of purification. And so this man, who's the priest, who's this high level, says to himself, you know, he justifies it in this way of saying, well, you know what, there's a lot of people traveling this road. There's a lot of people going by. And I, this is a job that would be better suited for somebody else other than myself. That I've got to get back home. I've been away. I'm coming by. Maybe a Levite will come by. Maybe a merchant and somebody will take care of this man. 
Well, luckily for him, there was a Levite that was coming by. And let's just take it this way, okay? Let's say that the, the Levite was in Jericho and he was on his way into Jerusalem for, for a two-week time there, there at, the, at the temple. And he travels 15 or 16 miles to all of a sudden get to this place and see a man that's lying there on the side of the road. And as he goes, he does the same exact thing. He says, okay, I could touch this man and see if he's got a pulse, but let's just say he is in fact dead, like it seems he is. Then all of a sudden I'm unclean. I've just traveled 15 or 16 miles to come and work at the temple. And I've got one week that I'm now not able to go into the temple and to work. So he justifies in his mind. There's a lot of people traveling this road. Surely someone else will come by and see this man, maybe a merchant or somebody else who's not heading to the temple. In Jesus' story, there was somebody else coming, but it's not who his audience thought it would be. Jesus resumes the story with this idea. He says that uh, then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. The language he uses there that he says a despised Samaritan gives just a little bit of context of what's going on in this day. That this is a cultural enemy that they, they did not agree. There was a, and there was maybe not always a violent feud between them, but it was not, some, not, not somebody that is going to go out of his way to help an Israelite man laying there on the side of the road. Yet he's the one who stops. He's moved with compassion. And Jesus explains his, explains his compassion to us by giving the details of how he helped this man. He says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. His own supplies that he had with him, he gave willingly to help this man. He bandaged him and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, insinuating that he's now given a day of his time to now help this man, that he, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And the thing about this is that this story, this Samaritan that becomes the hero of this story is painting a picture for us of the way of Jesus, of the way that Jesus came, the life that he had imagined, that the picture he's looking for us to live. His idea of being human is, is seen in this story. It's radical compassion to go out of your way, to love your neighbor as yourself, to go across racial and cultural differences, to offer and extend love to another person. It's the way that we think about how Christians should respond to these differences, that we should respond with love and compassion when, even when we have differences. And Jesus' invitation of the story is to come and follow him and to realign, realign our ideas of following him in this way because of stories like this. But as Jesus' listeners heard this story, what they would have been offended about is that this hero of the story was a Samaritan. They would have had a problem with the fact that why couldn't you have told the story that somebody else, another Israelite man came through because they just were so upset with that. But it's kind of Jesus' point that the two people that had the cultural obligation didn't stop. And the only one who, had, who wasn't too busy to help was the Samaritan. This is why Willard says that the great enemy of spiritual life is in fact hurry. That hurry leads to things like emotional numbness. It leads to exhaustion, irritability. Having your priorities out of order comes out of a place of being in a hurry. And the thing is, is that we if we were to put ourselves in the story, that's kind of a scary thought for us because if we were to put ourselves into the story, then we would hope that we would respond like the Good Samaritan. But if we're being completely honest with ourselves, we're not sure if we would because just like these other two guys, we're busy and we have things to get to. So the question that I've kind of asked myself as I've kind of been looking at the story and, and kind of thinking about this is, what is it that we're missing? What is it that that, that we, we need to have to be able to respond the way Jesus tells us? Is it, is it just that we're all so selfish that we need to just be more selfless? So we just need to try harder to, to think about others more. We just need to not, not be so selfish and, 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 and think our life is so busy. 
Is it that we just need to cancel our entire schedule, right? Just wipe everything clean so that we have tons of margin. Is it that we just need more time? Some of you are, have been in the place where you have prayed prayers like Joshua, of like, God, make the sun stand still. I got to finish this paper or I got I got a due date, right? We know these, these ideas. We, we often say things like, well, hey, when I've got more time or when, I've got, when, it, when this season calms down, then I can give to this. And the solution that I would want to advocate for today is that I don't think that we necessarily need more time. And I don't even think that, that we just need to try harder. I think it's a deeper thing than that. That the solution is that we need to slow down and follow the way of Jesus. To follow the example, the template that his life laid out for us. His invitation was not just to do better. His invitation was to come and learn his way of life from the ground up. To learn his rhythms, to learn how he walked, how he worked. And, you know, there's a, there's a ton of power in, in it changing something in our life when we submit to somebody else's system. When we're humble enough and maybe at a place of like, hey, maybe I like a great example is like, hey, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I don't know everything about money. And, I'm, and I say, there's something powerful about submitting to somebody else has a roadmap to get me here and I can trust that. And who better to follow a template of, who better to follow a guide of than Jesus in his life? So let's look at the way he lived today, okay? Let's look at the different patterns and the rhythms of his life. So Jesus was busy. We talked about this. He was, in fact, a busy person, but there's no doubt about that, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. That he, we see, we read these stories where Jesus is like walking and then, and he's got people coming to him constantly. He's healing people for a whole day. And we don't look at these stories and think, man, Jesus just really seemed irritable when that person came up to him and asked them to heal him. It's like, you don't read it that way. We read it and you see Jesus be patient with them. We don't read stories like of Jesus going away with his disciples and think, man, he is numbing out. I can see it, right? Well, we look at Jesus like, man, he had it together in some way. That he was busy, but he lived an unhurried life and it showed. C.S. Lewis once said something to the effect of that how you respond to an interruption is who you really are, which is just like the worst to hear. Oh my goodness. As a parent, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I give up. I don't even, I'm not even going to try anymore. But there's some truth to that idea. There's some truth to the fact that how you respond to an interruption is who you really are because it shows what's really deep inside. And when we look at Jesus, we see that what was really inside him was the real deal. That we look at how many of Jesus' miracles were in a response to an interruption. How many of his teachings were a response to that? You look at the moment of he's walking and, and then you've got Barabbas screaming out, Jesus, have mercy on me. He's walking and he's interrupted by this man. The story of, of the paralyzed man and the four guys that carry him, carry him in. Jesus is teaching. Imagine if, if, he, if I was teaching and somebody started digging through the, the ceiling, I would have a problem with that. I was like, you can come schedule a time later, right? Like there's another service, do the next one. But the thing is, is that he responds to these interruptions with grace. He responds to a lot of his teachings, if you notice, are people piping up and asking a question when he's in the middle of a teaching. But he responds with grace and with love. So what gave him that kind of margin? What are we missing that Jesus had in his life that gave him the kind of margin to love in this way? And there's a simple line in Luke's gospel that just shows us a part of the way that Jesus lived. And I think it's so profound for us today. Luke chapter five, verse 16 says this. He says, but Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness for prayer. He often withdrew to the wilderness to be alone with God, to be away from other people and to pray. 
It's between all the miracles and the teachings that we see him going away to being alone with God. And you see it his whole life. You see it from, from the time that he starts, when Jesus starts his ministry, we see Jesus going away to be alone. Whenever, whenever he's making a big decision, we see Jesus going away to pray. Whenever he's dealing with big things and big feelings like grief, we see it's how he dealt with the constant demands of his ministry. It's how he taught his disciples how to live and how to pray. It's how he prepared to go to a death on a cross. As we read and we prepare for Easter, we see this is where Jesus was, alone in a place of prayer. And it's what Jesus would have called abiding or to remain in him. John chapter 15, verse four reads like this. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And, if you, cannot, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I mean, just let that sink in. Like the idea that you, he's making this point that we've got to stay connected to the source. We've got to stay connected to the branch. You cannot, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And how many of us kind of live in this idea that when we think about the way of Jesus, we think about the things that we do, the things that we offer, the love that we give, the patience that we have, the compassion that we have on reserve to give to other people, the things that we contribute to the kingdom of God or the things that we're thinking about when we think about the fruit. But you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Those things are a byproduct of abiding. Those things come out of the overflow of us living connected to the source, living connected to Jesus. And I like the idea of how Rich kind of explained this when we talked about forgiveness a couple weeks ago when he said, what we inhale is what we exhale. What we breathe in is what's going to come back out. If we want to love other people like Jesus, then we have to slow down long enough to receive love from him. It's the, uh, the concept of if you were to put a gallon of gasoline in your car every single time, right, you're going to run out of gas pretty quickly and you're always going to feel like you're running on fumes. And I think the same idea rings true for this, of that if we only spend a little bit of time with Jesus, we're always going to feel like we're running on fumes and trying to produce things out of ourselves. We can't give what we don't have. And there's this idea that, uh, I'm going to use one more Dallas Willard quote. Okay, it's my last one, okay? This is my last week of the series. I had to use one more. He's really good. Um, he kind of paints this picture of what abiding looks like for us in this idea. He says this, he says, the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. Our part in this practicing the presence of God, that is so good, is to direct and to redirect our minds constantly to him. It's this idea that when you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought a second time. When you begin to get an idea in your head, it becomes more natural to do it again. That's why some of us, we have negative thought patterns that we kind of grad, we go back to. And when we're kind of in a, in a dark place, we kind of naturally gravitate to these same thought patterns that we thought that we got past and that we weren't dealing with anymore. But it's because when you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again. It's paved a road in your mind. And I think that the same thing is true that in the idea of abiding, remaining in Jesus, staying connected to the source, a lot of times what happens is we can think about him and have him on our mind in certain moments, in certain areas, when our Bible's open, when we're at church. But the idea is to direct our mind to him and redirect it back to him because it's going to go back to something else. You're going to have other thoughts. You're gonna think about things. He says later in this quote, we're gonna dwell on things less than God. But our job is to direct and to redirect our mind to him and to begin to retrain our brain to think in the way that he thinks. And this is kind of where I want to land this conversation today. And this idea that if, in order to follow the way of Jesus, we're going to have to slow down. In order to follow him in the way that we're going to live out of that, to live in the way of Jesus, we might have to slow down. 
Now, um, as I have written this message this week, um, it has been like I was a prosecuting attorney making a case against myself, okay? It has been horrible. I'm like writing something down, I'm like, that's good, but that stings. It's like, I don't think I should preach this yet. I'm like, I'm still feeling it. it, it I felt like I was making a case against my own life because here's the thing. I, when I hear, th- hear the idea of slow down, I know, that, I, I, know, I know that hurry is not good for me, okay? I, I know I can see all these different patterns, see all these different things, but it's kind of like this idea. I get these ads um, from time to time of this thing called mud water, and it's like a coffee replacement. And so I get this ad and, and it, and all it says is how bad coffee is for you and that you should replace it with this thing. And, and I hear, and I get so upset because I'm like, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me coffee's bad for me. I'm gonna keep drinking coffee. I love coffee way too much. And I think it's the same idea. I can hear the idea that hurry is not good for me, but it's really hard to take that idea and put it into practice. It's really hard to actually, in fact, slow down. I do everything fast in my life. I eat fast. I listen to audiobooks at 1.5 speed. My favorite YouTube videos right now are literally Gordon Ramsay making a meal in 10 minutes, and it's stressful and it's chaotic, and it's my favorite. It is so great. And honestly, I'm pretty, I'm not sure where I stand on this. I don't know if I need to talk slower or if you guys need to listen faster. Like there's some, we gotta figure out something in the middle. Because <laughs> I got a lot of things. But here's the reality of it. When I'm in a rush, I see different patterns in my life. I see things like this. I see that when I'm in a rush, I'm rushing out of the house in the morning to get to things. That I'm not focused in meetings, that I I might be present, but I'm kind of, my, my brain is everywhere else. I've got a million other things going through my mind. I feel overwhelmed. I don't sleep well when I'm in a hurry. I feel those, just like that list we talked about earlier, like I feel irritable, emotionally numb. I don't take good care of my body. And when I find myself in a place of hurry for too long, the, the effect on my life and the effect on, on my soul is really devastating. That I, I get to a place where I'm like, eventually, it usually it takes some time, but I'm like, I'm not doing well. And this week is kind of a, kind of a great example. Writing a sermon, right, preparing to, to come and share took a lot of time and it took a lot of energy and it took a lot of moments where I had moments this week where my, my brain was somewhere else and I'm, I'm constantly trying to get back and, and hurry and finish and, and prepare, but I'm feeling hurry. I'm hurrying to come and to talk to you about hurry. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I slow down and I don't, by all means, don't, don't, don't hear me and I'm not trying to talk about this and tell you I've got this figured out, but let me tell you what I do notice on the opposite side. When I slow down, I become more aware of my limits. I become more aware of the amount of things that I can actually hold and the things that, that, the, the balls that, that I can keep in the air. And, and when, I'm, when I'm aware of my limits, I begin to understand in a, in a greater way that, and God reminds me that when I am weak, he is strong. That in my deficiencies, in my weakness, that he is enough for me, but I don't know it until I recognize and come to terms with my limits. When I slow down, I let go of control. I'm less controlling of, of my life and of, of, of other people and of outcomes. And that I can truly be still and know that he is God. There is a God and it's not me. And I am reminded of that when I slow down and come to terms with the fact that I have to let go of control. When I slow down, I begin to feel my feelings. I've lived in a paradigm for most of my life that feelings are for fixing, not for feeling. And when I slow down long enough to feel feelings, when I slow long enough to experience grief and sadness, when I slow down to feel weakness, it actually does something to me. That my feelings are for feeling, not for fixing and resolving so I can get back to the things that I'm already doing. 
When I slow down, it's easier to love the way that Jesus loved. It's easier to be present with another person, to not have a conversation start and be already counting down to when I need to leave and go to the next thing, when I slow down. So when I come to terms with this, when I, take it, when I evaluate this, why wouldn't I make it my goal to slow down? Why wouldn't I slow down and follow his way of life? And in this season of my life, I've come to this place where I've said, my ultimate goal is to be more like Jesus. I can see the areas that my, myself and my, and my own natural tendencies want to go this way. And so I'm reprioritizing and reorienting, say, I want my ultimate goal to make my life to look more like Jesus as I follow his way, his example, his template. And so if, if hurry stands in the way of it, if anything stands in the way of me becoming more like Jesus, it has to go. It doesn't belong because I want to follow him and I want to become more like him. And I want to invite you to do the same thing with me today. So would you stand all across this room? I want to take just a minute uh, and give a time of response. As you can see, Rapids stand with us as well and we're going to close together. Uh, and I want to just, I, I want to share really quickly before, before I, I wrap this up and just my, kind of my heart for this series. Um, I prayed a lot about this series and I prayed a lot for you and I prayed a lot for, this, for us as a church as we follow Jesus. And I, don't, I, I wanna be clear about something that I, I don't want to get up here and to, to talk about something and talk about hurry, for example, and to say, hey, we need to slow down and to just throw a bunch of shame and just a bunch of guilt of like, hey, you need to be doing better because it's not, it's not the invitation. The, you don't see Jesus demand, follow me. We see him offer an invitation to a different and a better way. And I want to extend the same invitation that, that, that I've kind of accepted from Jesus, say, I want to follow you. And I think that I said, I think I said something along the lines of this last week of this idea that when we tend to, when something works for us, we're excited about it, we want to share it. But when we tell other people that, they, that the only way is to do it the way that we did it, it that's, that's where we get a, a lot of legalism. That's where a lot of us have these wounds from, from church hurt where we feel like we've been told you have to do certain things to be a Christian. And if you don't, then, then, then what are you doing? And it's really, can, it can come from a place of just, this is the way that you're supposed to do things. It's the only way. But the reality is, is that each of us came in today with, at a different place in our journey. Each of us came in and we want so badly to follow him. We've come here to say, Lord, would you do something? Would you, would you meet me where I'm at? And I want to invite you on a journey to slow down, to take inventory, to feel things, to allow him to work in you. But I don't want to do it in a way that says, hey, you have to do this. It's an invitation to come and follow him. And I, we've said it over and over in this series in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace and to walk at his pace, to walk with him. So I just wanna, I don't wanna speak from the place of the expert and tell you that this is what you need to do. I actually wanna, I wanna end today by posing a question to you. Um, and as the team's gonna lead us in just a moment, uh, I just want you to take some time to think about it and to, to evaluate this for yourself. But it's just a simple question of, what are you not doing right now that if you did would help you to slow down? What are you not doing right now that if you did, it would help you to slow down in your life and be present? And I would just simply say with that, take that thing and move it to the top of the list. Make that, a, make that a high priority and let something else fall off the bottom. Because as we take time to be with him, one of my consistent prayers that I pray in the morning is, Lord, help me to slow down and to be present with you. 
and to allow those things to begin to reform us and reshape us. This is an idea that we kind of get in practice as we put it into practice so we begin to understand it in a greater way. And so, like I said, our, our prayer teams are gonna be down front. Our team's gonna lead us in just a minute, but I just wanna pray for you today and just pray that God would just begin to speak and move in, a, in our hearts, shift some things, lead us to a place as we follow him that is just gonna lead to life. As he says, life and life to the full, life and life more abundantly. So come on, can we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just wanna thank you so much for today. I wanna thank you for our time to gather today. I wanna thank you so much for every person that, that today that, that has made things possible, every, every person that served to, to create space for us to come together. And even just this space this morning was a space for us to slow down. And Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to make things clear to us. Help us to see the areas, the things in our life that we could add to our life in this week that would help us to slow down and to be present. I pray that you would just begin to help us to walk with you, that the way of Jesus would become something that is a, is a path that we're walking in, a way that we're walking down, not just an ideal or a hope. And Lord, I just wanna pray for each person that is hearing this today, that you would walk with them, that you would meet with them in such a real and a tangible way that they would feel you walking beside them in this journey. This journey of faith is one that is not always easy and it doesn't always feel comfortable, but Lord, walk with us as we desire to follow you wholeheartedly. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's worship.